that button. There we go. Revelation chapter 8. Here's the little backstory, if I may. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are some on that back table back there, If you're, those of you that are here. The backstory for where we are in Revelation, um, we're in the beginning of chapter 8. We've seen the very important document, a scroll with seven seals. And one by one, those seals were opened. And with each seal, there was some sort of a judgment on planet Earth. But the seals are nothing compared to the trumpets, which get more intense. And then the trumpets end and the bowls begin rapid fire at the end of the tribulation, end of the world. And those are even more intense. You remember Jesus said they were like birth pangs. The thing about birth pangs, ladies, birth pains, is they start you know, not that painful, and every now and then, and then they increase in intensity and in frequency. And so that's what Jesus compared these end times to. Um, I won't go into all those seals, but the day of the Lord is really beginning here in chapter 8. In chapter 7, he sealed 144,000, and then there was a great multitude as well of believers during that time on the uh, earth in the tribulation, a seven-year period predicted by Daniel uh, in chapter 9, the worst period in human history, according to Jesus. Um, let's see, we already talked about that. So the seventh seal, last thing I want to say, seven seals. When you get to the seventh seal, you're going to notice there's no real plague or woe, W-O-E, associated with it. Most scholars think that be that's because the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. That's what's included in it. And the same thing with the seventh trumpet. There's no woe or plague. And it, most scholars think that the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls of God's wrath, the worst part. In any case, um, this is all happening on planet Earth, a place where, except for the Christians, most of the world has thumbed their nose at and refused Jesus Christ in favor of the Antichrist. By this time, there is no middle ground, no third position. You either worship God through Jesus Christ or you worship Antichrist with a mark on your hand or forehead. That comes in chapter 13. But there's a lot of regression where they go back over some time frames to add details. Um, let's see, we already talked about that. But the ones that are believers are shielded from God's wrath on planet Earth. Keep that in mind. All right, so I know that you're awake. Say amen. amen. Good one. And those of you on Zoom, oh, I see an amen sign from Glenn. Amen. Oh, I see a bunch of amen signs. How funny. Um, okay, amen. All right, chapter 8 is where we left off. I want to cover one quick thing. I started to talk about it and I didn't have time in chapter 7. And that is that in verse 17, do you see verse 17 of chapter 7? For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We talked about most of that, except the fact that that's what's called a paradox. How could a lamb be a shepherd? But he's both. And so I have a little section in my notes called the paradoxes of Jesus. I just want to cover this briefly. Um, a paradox is a statement or two statements that appear to be impossible that they could both be true. And yet when you investigate them, you find out that they're both true. Example, Jesus is the lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb. And yet he's also the shepherd of the sheep. 
Okay, so Jesus, in we learn in Hebrews, is our high priest, the one that makes a sacrifice. And yet he's also the Lamb of God, the actual sacrifice. He's both. He, is, uh, he says in Mark 8, to save your life, you have to lose it. These are paradoxes. Um, to be first, you must be willing to be last. To be great, you must serve others. These are all paradoxes. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Blessed are those who hunger. Odd thing to say, but he means hunger for righteousness, for spiritual things. Then those are the ones that receive because they know that they're bankrupt spiritually. We live as Christians because Christ died. It's a paradox, right? Um, Paul said that when he was weak, he was strong. God can use you more in your weakness usually than in your strength. Um, Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us. Uh, we already talked about that. Okay, chapter 8. I'm just looking if there's any. We already talked about most of this. Um, God's wrath is pouring out now against a world that has refused his son, uh, and his sacrifice. Um, so keep in mind, it's going to get almost science fiction-ish here, okay? Almost cartoonish, it's going to get so bizarre. Keep in mind that if God looks mean to you in this, remember that he tempers all this with mercy. All of these judgments are so that people will wake up, turn to Christ, and repent. Most don't but some do. Let's dive in. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, the other seals have all had judgment of one kind or another, war, famine, death. Remember all that? When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Strange, isn't it, that they would mention that? Um, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So with all the action that's been going on, there's a sudden 30 minutes, half an hour of silence in heaven. So the question is, well, what's going on here? There was a pause in Revelation 7 while he sealed the godly people, the believers. Now there's silence. This is almost a sober, awestruck, um, trembling silence at what's about to happen. It's sort of like, you ever heard this saying, the calm before the storm. That's what this is, because um, the judgments are about to come. So the, sort of the lull before the storm, yeah. No more seals now, and it's been very noisy. Suddenly, silence. What's interesting is um, the, the document, remember the scroll, had seven seals. The seventh seal is open. If you read the rest of Revelation looking for, well, what was on the scroll, the scroll disappears. It's never mentioned again. Most scholars think what was on the scroll, among other things, is the rest of Revelation, all these judgments and the title deed to the earth that Jesus can now take back the kingdom, the world, if you will. So there's this sort of very odd silence and then suddenly he sees seven angels. Notice he says, who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So the seventh seal, you see, there's no big famine, war, earthquake. It's just 
the seven trumpets are the seventh seal. Notice that there's seven, the number of perfection and completion. These are special angels because they are the seven angels who stand before God, always. They, uh, th this idea of seven angels stand before God was Jewish tradition, and now here it is in scripture. Um, one of them, I think we know his name, and that's Gabriel. Luke 1.19, when Gabriel comes to Mary, do you remember that, to announce she's going to have the Messiah as a baby? He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of or before God. So it is thought he is one of these seven. Very highly exalted angels that are the inner uh, core of angels right around Jesus. Um, let's see. Yeah, we talked about this. Is uh, Revelation is a book where God ties up every loose end. By the end of this book, there will be no question as to, well, that guy got away with that major ripoff or sin or murder or... All of that will be, all sin will be dealt with. All righteousness will be rewarded. Jesus, the rightful owner of planet earth, will be the Messiah who rules as king on planet earth. Um, trumpets uh, were used in the Old Testament to sound an alarm for war. They were used to call God's people together. They were used in ceremonial processions, in the start of journeys, special feasts, but they warned of the coming day of the Lord. They also announced the new year um, and, and divine judgment of the Lord. Okay, so let's dive in. We've got seven angels with some trumpets after a silence. Verse 3, another angel. I'm going to come back to that word, another. Turns out that's the most important word here, the word another, believe it or not. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Okay, so why is another so important? Because we're not told anything else about this angel, but he is standing at the altar serving. Usually that would be the role of the priest or mediator. Some scholars think this is Jesus. Okay, I'm going to show you why I don't think it is, and most scholars don't either. The word another in Greek means another of the same kind. What kind? Another angel. Okay, angel means messenger, but of the same kind. Jesus is not the same kind as any other being in heaven except God the Father. So it's another angel. I believe it's just another uh, good angel, if you will. Uh, had a golden censer. Uh, now, a censer was a metallic um, sort of a container that would hold coals and then had a handle at the top with chains holding it, okay? So this is a strange little picture. He's standing at the altar right by the throne, in front of the throne. Everything is in relation to the throne in heaven, we've learned from the past chapters. He's got a golden censer. He comes and stands at the altar. He's given much incense to offer. Notice, with the prayers of the saints. If you remember, incense is something that burns and it's fragrant. It <clears throat> rises up and it's pleasant, right? So the question is, the prayers of God's people are going to be mingled with this uh, incense. So we know what the prayers of God's people are, right? 
We Christians have been praying something for 2,000 years God is about to do. And it's in the middle of the central phrase in the Lord's Prayer, which is, Thy kingdom come. It wasn't the time in 1950 or in 1408 or 1207 or whenever. Whenever this is, it's time. And so the prayers of God's people are what initiates everything you're about to read. That's what John wants you to understand. The question is, what's the incense? And there were all kinds of theories and just sort of like the angels praying themselves, it's very hard to explain, but they're adding the, the incense to the prayers of all God's people. Imagine how many prayers have been prayed over the centuries since Jesus died on the cross. Pretty amazing thing. So there he is on the front of the altar in front of the throne, adding incense that he was given to the prayers of all God's people. And so this verse four, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Okay, so a couple things. The power of prayer. I believe when we get to heaven, it's gonna be the kind of thing that we will realize we had extreme, amazing power, not in and of ourselves, but access to prayer to God in heaven, that we never realized how much difference it made. Some people have a crisis, and when they've exhausted every possibility as the last resort, I guess I'll just pray. It should be the first resort. Amen. Tremendous power in prayer. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people goes up before God from the angel's hand. That does not imply that if you pray and there's no incense from some angel in heaven, your prayers hit the ceiling and don't go any way further. Don't believe that for a second. Prayer is so powerful. And I believe that the most powerful people in a, any church are probably not the pastor or the people that do the music or teach Bible study. It's probably people you barely know their name and they're just prayer warriors that are just on their knees constantly praying. These prayers, as I said, are what's going to cause everything to happen. No saint's prayer, listen, is ever forgotten. You may feel like, well, he didn't answer my prayer. He's not on your time schedule. He's not on, my, uh, on mine. Remember, every prayer is answered one of three ways. Yes, and he grants it. No, because it wouldn't be good for you. Or the hardest one, wait. Right? Sometimes you pray for somebody 10 years, wait. But it's a faith builder. That's the thing about prayer. But prayer is going to set in motion the consummation of history with amazing power. Thy kingdom come. It implies that we're not the king, and he is. Right before that is, thy, right after that, thy will be done. You can't do any better than that in your life. God, may your will be done. So the prayers with the incense in the censer uh, go up before God. Why are the prayers heard? I see sometimes, or I hear people say, oh, you know, so-and-so is sick. And, and these people talking are not believers, okay? And they say on the phone or in an email, I'm sending positive thoughts your way. You ever hear that? I'm not sure how you do that or how much good that does. Um, 
Or I've heard this one too. You know, Harriet is sick. Oh, prayers to Harriet. Wait, prayers to? You're going to pray to Harriet? Why do these prayers work? By the way, I'm, what am I implying? I'm implying that somewhere, some prayers don't. I believe that other pe people that worship another God, when they pray, God does not hear them. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, it says in Paul's letter to Timothy. Do you remember that? Because we pray in the name of, in the power of, in the belief of the Lord Jesus Christ, God hears our prayers. The only prayer, there's one asterisk, the only prayer that an unbeliever prays that God hears is this, something like this. Lord, if you're real, will you show me? Lord, I'm lost. I need help. That kind of prayer, that kind of soft-hearted prayer, I believe an unbeliever prays, God hears. He will bring more light to that person. Now, if that person rejects the light, that's a different story. They receive the light, they get more light. Amen. The prayers are heard because Jesus Christ broke the barrier between men and women and a holy God. Our sin separated us from each other and from God. Jesus Christ pays the price for your sin and mine, offers us his righteousness in exchange for our horrible debt of sin, guilt, and shame. What a deal. My garbage for his gold. We confess him as Lord and Savior, and our prayers are now heard. We have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, John 14, 6, no man comes to God except through me, Jesus talking. Not through Buddha, not through Muhammad, not through deep meditation, not through the New Age movement, which there's a church right down the street, church in quotes, where it's all New Agey. Everybody's God there. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't want to be God. In any case, the, that's why the prayers are heard. Verse 5. So the smoke of the incense and the prayers go up before God from the angel's hand. Verse 5. Then, right after that, the prayers are answered. Here's the answer. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Earthquakes in the Bible are symbolic of judgment, as are the thunders and the lightnings that you see in the Old Testament. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. That's the seventh seal, folks. Silence in heaven, the prayers being heard, and then an angel taking that censer and throwing it to the earth. In this chapter, you're going to see a lot of stuff being thrown from heaven to earth. And I'll just give you a little preview. It ain't good. I'll just say that. Um, so the, the seven angels, verse six, the ones that stand in the presence of God, who have the seven trumpets, prepare to sound them. The seven trumpets are really the seventh seal. There's no woe. There's no plague here, as we said. Verse seven, the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Like I said, a lot of stuff being thrown down, and it's not good. Okay, so...
Here, there's a tr the trumpet is blown and there's hail and fire mixed with blood. Kind of an interesting picture, isn't it? It recalls some of the plagues from Egypt with Moses and the Jews in, yeah, in Egypt. So <clears throat> that's trumpet number one, hail and fire mixed with blood. If you were outside today, it almost felt like this, didn't it? Those of you that are in other parts of the country, we've been having a heat wave like breaking records like crazy. Hail and fire mixed with blood hurled, hurled down to the earth. The first few trumpets only harm, listen, the earth, not directly people. People are certainly harmed as a result because if a third of the earth is burned up, a third of the trees, all the grass, how much smoke and pollution is there? How much heat? How much destruction of property? This is a major thing. Now, it might be just in one area where that's a third of all the land mass or a third of the earth, or it might be a third of each continent. We don't know, but this is a lot. But have you noticed one third is less than two thirds? What's your point? Mercy. As we said all through this book, he could, God could, judge the whole world with one explosion. Everybody dies. He sorts it all out. He's being slow about it, only a third. You say, that's a lot. I know, but it's two-thirds is spared. But a third is burned up. The pollution, would, the smoke would be unbelievable. We've had fires here in the mountain area. We live near Yosemite, and it's, there were days when you could barely see, right? Um, certainly couldn't see the mountains much. Um, so this is an ecological disaster of epic proportion. There's red blood, hail, and fire. We don't know how big the hail is. Um, we'll see some hail later that's really big. Um, this is God's judgment on sin to bring people to their knees, to get their attention. Um, some scholars say that all the grass being burned up, in the way it's worded in Greek, it could mean all the grass in that one-third of the earth, not all the grass in the whole planet. I don't know which it is. But it's certainly extreme heat, fires like we've never seen before. Um, let's see. People are affected, but not directly. The last three of the seven trumpets affect people directly, painfully, horribly. Let me just warn you. Um, Let's see. I, I'm fond of mentioning this. I mentioned it last week. I'm going to say it again. First of all, the plagues in Egypt. Do you remember those? Frogs, darkness, um, the Nile River turned to blood, red, right? Those were not, listen, symbolic. What do you mean? I mean, they may have had a meaning that God was judging Pharaoh and the Egyptians for mistreating the Jews and not letting them go. But what I mean is when it says frogs, do you know what that means? Frogs, right? Or there's all kinds of things. Darkness, it means darkness. What's your point? There are those that spiritualize this and say, this isn't really fire and it's not really trees burning. It's, it's symbolic of some kind of a judgment. To me, it's literal. Second point, as I said last week, if you can imagine two rabbis a hundred years before Jesus is born, they're going over the Old Testament, scriptures that predict the coming of the Messiah. And they see, oh, look at that, born in Bethlehem. Now, what could that mean? 
Bethlehem means house of bread. So maybe he could be the son of a baker, maybe. Listen, you know what it means? He was born in Bethlehem, a little town, right? Outside of Jerusalem. And he was uh, betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, it says in Zechariah. Now, what could that mean symbolically? You know what it means? It's literal, right? Born of a virgin. Hmm. Now, what could that mean? It means he was born of a virgin. He was pierced in his, this is all Old Testament scripture, by the way. Um, Psalm 22. He was pierced in his hands and his feet. It's, it's literal. They, they cast lots for his clothing. Now, what could that symbolically mean? It's literal. Prophecy, I think you can overthink it. Do I think this is actually going to happen? I do. If I'm wrong, then you can, you know, tell me how crazy I am. But most of the prophecies about Jesus were literal. None of his bones will be broken. Even though he'll be killed, Isaiah 53, he will see his offspring, a resurrection. His offspring is the Christian church, amen? How could all this happen? Some have said this is a John's first century description of a nuclear war. Could that be? Maybe. Meteor shower? I don't know. But I believe that it'll be as literal as the plagues in Egypt were, extreme fire and burning. Um, let's see. All of the first four trumpets create for mankind a more hostile environment on planet Earth. Keep in mind something else, um, which is common grace. What does that mean? It means that when the rain falls and the crops are helped, that helps Christian farmers. It also helps atheist farmers and Muslim farmers and Hindu farmers, right? Common grace. Common grace, all those trees create oxygen that we can breathe. All those trees burning, it's going to be a little more difficult to breathe. But there has been, for all these thousands of years, common grace with trees and grass, all the things that God has given. Does that include fruit trees? Absolutely. A third of them burned up. In 1901, in Italy and Southern Europe, there was a phenomenon that occurred where red sand was blowing in a big way from the Sahara up into the atmosphere, and then tremendous rain fell, and the rain landed on the ground red like blood. Just one example. Um, let's see. The other point I want you to remember is well, maybe it was nuclear war and God's just in heaven as a bystander watching wrong. God is causing these things. True, he can move king's hands to do whatever he wants to, but I don't want you to think that God's watching going, oh, look at that. He's causing these things as a judgment and to get people to repent. Okay, it's going to get a little stranger as we go here. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet. Here comes the second trumpet. And something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Ecological earth disaster number two, second trumpet. What is this thing? 
Is it a mountain? No. How do you know that? Because it's something like a mountain. So it's a giant mass that comes flying out of the atmosphere into the earth. Theories from people? Meteor? Asteroid? Right? Let's read it again. Something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. If you ask me, God aimed. What do you mean? It could have hit New York City and killed 10 million people. It hits the sea. Warning number two. Wake up, you people, says God. Say amen so I know you're awake, right? A few said amen. Most went, wow, look at that mountain coming down. If you know anything about meteors or asteroids, they're not on fire until they hit our atmosphere. And when they do, the friction of speeding through, you ever see a falling star? Usually that is some piece of rock or something coming into our atmosphere, getting hotter and hotter and hotter and lighting up. Usually they burn out before they hit the, because they're shrinking in size as they burn up, before they hit anything. But there have been meteors that have hit planet Earth and caused huge disasters. Have you ever seen the uh, pictures of the moon? Thousands of craters. Guess what those are? The moon has way less of an atmosphere than we have on planet Earth. God did that so he'd protect the Earth. The moon has pockmarks all over it from stuff hitting it. So this is not uncommon. However, this is big. This is not a little meteor. This is a big, huge thing. Small asteroid or meteor are the two theories. Um, if you're from the South, you'd say a ball of fire, right? Um, asteroids are literally mountains hurling through space. There's one family of asteroids that scientists have named the Apollo group of asteroids. Their orbit crosses the Earth's orbit as it comes around, okay? Um, the, the, they vary in size from, listen, how big are these things? A few miles across to several hundred miles across. That's a mountain flying through space, right? The largest asteroid is called Ceres. It is, it's 620 miles in diameter. If that hits the earth, there'd be catastrophic stuff going on. It would heat up as it entered the atmosphere, glow, burn. If it hit the sea, there'd be tidal waves, tsunamis, uh, unbelievable devastation. A meteor hit Siberia in 1908 and devastated over a thousand square miles. Huge area. The shock waves were felt as far away as Europe, and that meteorite was only 200 feet across, not even a football field. Okay, um, keep in mind something we've been saying all through this. There's two things going on that are bad during the tribulation. Thing number one, God is pouring out his wrath on unsaved mankind. Could you, as a Christian, if you're living at this time on planet Earth, be hurt by God's wrath? Answer, no way. No way. You're protected. Second thing that's happening is that the Antichrist soon, halfway through the seven years, is going to come to power and he's going to 
persecute and kill and imprison Christians and Jews. Could you be in trouble there? Yes. Chapter 13 says so. About believers, we're protected from God's wrath, but there's no guarantee, as there hasn't been for all the centuries of the Christian church, Christians have been martyred, have been killed, have been imprisoned, have been beheaded for their testimony. Um, okay, so even a third of the ships, notice the one third, by the way, when you see the word sea, the sea, to a Jew, the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. Could that be what it's talking about? Or is it the sea, meaning the whole, I believe it's the whole earth myself. I think this is a, a huge thing, much bigger than just the Mediterranean. Um, but that second trumpet, that huge mountain, something, asteroid, meteor, hits into the sea. A third of the sea was turned into blood. Now, for a Jew, blood is unclean. You can't drink blood. If the water has blood in it, it's contaminated. You can't drink it. Now, nobody drinks seawater unless it's, you have a desalinization thing going on. But the point is, did the meteorite make the sea unclean chemically by whatever was in there and the fire and what have you? Um, not sure. Um, let's see. We already talked about that. This goes back to the Nile River in Exodus 7.20. Do you remember that was one of the plagues? This, in Egypt, the Nile River is the lifeblood of that area. It's deserty in a lot of it, and there's that river that's the lifeblood. When he turned it to blood, that was a big deal. That's coming in the future trumpets we're going to talk about. Uh, let's see. So tidal waves, shock waves, the ships, a third of them go, and uh, a third of the sea creatures go away. Now, a lot of people make their living fishing or eating seafood. There's that much less clean air from the previous trumpet, that much less food on planet Earth from the trees burning, and now from the sea creatures, a third of them, creatures living in the sea, died. A third of the ships destroyed. Getting more and more intense. Third trumpet. I should have brought a little trumpet. Remember those margarine commercials? I don't remember what it was. Imperial margarine, right? And the, boop, and the little, some of you that are too young are thinking, he's so weird. Okay, third trumpet, verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, verse 11. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Okay, again, if the first, that what we just heard was a meteor, maybe this is an asteroid or a comet, even bigger. Wormwood is a very bitter herb. It makes, uh, it is poisonous to some, but not all people. But it's always a symbol of divine judgment in the Old Testament, Jeremiah uh, 9.15, for example. This is an interesting thing because this third trumpet, uh, this is different than the previous one. You say, why? It's both including water. The first one was the sea, salt water. This is fresh water, think drinking water. Third angel sounded his trumpet, a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers, springs, 
In other words, lakes, a third of the fresh water on planet Earth is now made bitter. And many people died from the waters that have become bitter. You can't drink them. There's less drinking water. Okay, this is an interesting parallel to Exodus 15. Do you remember when the Jews are wandering in the wilderness and they're complaining and they're grumbling and they come to the water, they're you know, very, very thirsty in the hot desert. They come to the waters of Marah, M-A-R-A-H, which is uh, similar to the word Mary or Miriam in Hebrew, we have a Maria here. Uh, it, it, Miriam or Mary means bitter. That's interesting to me because Jesus, when he dies on the cross, there's a bunch of Marys. Did you ever notice? Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of uh, the, the husband of, and there's somebody there. There's three or four Marys in that little group if you read the four Gospels together. So the Jews are wandering, they're thirsty, they're complaining. They come to Mara, and there's a big body of fresh water, and guess what? The waters are bitter. You can't drink them. And the Jews complain it's not drinkable. They complain, they grumble even more, and instead of grumbling, Moses prays. Okay? We've got water that will kill We've got a major problem. Moses prays. God shows him a tree. Do you remember this story? We don't have time to read the whole thing. Numbers 21 or Exodus 15, you can find it. God shows him a tree. And the tree going into the water, think wood, cross, right? Peter says Jesus hanged on the tree. The tree goes into the water and makes the water drinkable. Do you remember that? This is the opposite of Mara. The waters become bitter that were clean. I just thought that was interesting. Um, let's see, we already talked about that. Same proportion here, a third of the rivers and the streams of the fresh drinking water. That's like the first Egyptian plague on the Nile River. Stars sometimes represent angels. We don't think so here. We think it's some big, you know, body from the from space uh, in this third trumpet. Uh, a great star blazing like a torch. So Jesus says, remember in Matthew 24 when he's talking about the end times, there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, signs in the heavens. Uh, Luke says, the parallel passage, Jesus says, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. We're, we're starting to see that, aren't we? So, we've had tremendous uh, disasters on planet Earth. What we're hoping is people are getting on their knees going, okay, I give up. Lord, if you're real, please help me, right? We're going to cover that later. Trumpet number four. Everybody say, dur, 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 dur. okay, just kidding. A fourth, fourth angel sounded his trumpet, verse 12, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars. So the, a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without not light and also a third of the night. What's going on here? 
Again, these are things like the trees, like the fresh water, that evolutionists will tell you, we just happen to luck out on a planet with breathable air and plenty of trees and plenty of fresh water and the salt water and the moon is exactly the right distance. We've taken all this for granted for centuries. Most people have. And now we're talking about the sun, which of course the sun's going to rise, right? Tomorrow morning. Now there's a great effect, which is darkness. This parallels with a plague in Egypt as well. Um, the first three trumpets were uh, on the land, if you will. The next one was the sea rivers, uh, the sea and the rivers and the water. The fourth is against the heavens. Interestingly, the fourth day of creation, God created the heavens. Um, let's see. In, in outer space, and he made visible the sun, the moon, and the stars. We take for granted that light, don't we? My wife and I, when we were having fires here and it was dark here, we went to Santa Cruz last year at the peak of the fires. And there was a bigger fire burning outside of Santa Cruz than there was here. In fact, there was that fire and one by Big Sur south of Monterey. My wife and I were in the house in Santa Cruz. It was 2.30 in the afternoon. We were getting ready to go out to go get some groceries. Suddenly, I said, look, we looked outside, and I'm not kidding, at 2.30 in the afternoon, it was dark. I don't mean gray, overcast. We drove to Capitola to a grocery store, a place called Gales that has really great food, and we had the lights on. It was dark in the middle of the day. It was so weird. First, it, it was very orange and red, the whole sky, and then it just got dark, 2.30 in the afternoon, and stayed dark. In any case, uh, pretty weird. Um, I wanted to stand in front of the store and say, the end is near, repent, but I didn't. Okay, uh, let's see. So, a third of the sun was struck. Does this mean a third of the day doesn't have the light that it used to, like my wife and I experienced, or does it mean that all day long there's the sun, it's just not quite as bright? If you think about it with all those fires, maybe the sun is being filtered through so much junk in the air, soot, smoke, what have you, you can't see the light as well as you used to. Hard to say. Darkness is, in the Bible, another symbol of judgment. Do you remember the biggest judgment to date? It occurred not Noah's Ark, if that's what you're thinking of. The biggest judgment to date was 2,000 years ago on a cross where Jesus took the punishment for the sins, John says, of the world. And what happened? It gets dark in the middle of the day. Remember, because it was right uh, as Passover was starting, we know it could not have been an eclipse in the middle of the day. Supernatural darkness, great judgment, darkness here. That's part of this plague that we're talking about in verses 12 and 13. Darkness at the cross, darkness here. Light from the sun and the moon will be a third less intense, um, maybe because of pollution. If that happens, the temperature on planet Earth would plunge, would have to, less sunlight getting through. 
You hear a lot about global warming today, especially this week, right, for a lot of us. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when the earth has had temperature variations, way, way, way more people have died when it got really cold. Way less people die when it gets really hot. I know it's uncomfortable, but way less people die when it's hot than when it's cold. Let's take our two-minute break. I'm going to turn my screen off, and we'll just stretch our aging bodies, and we'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Those of you that are here, please say hello to someone you don't know. There we go. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. We took our little break, and now um, we are uh, moving on here. In this chapter, six times the words one-third are repeated. One-third of this, one-third of that. You may say, well, it doesn't matter. It's still cataclysmic. Yes, it is, but that's God's mercy. Could have been two-thirds, could have been three-thirds, or everything burned up, drowned, all of that. Um, Let's see. The ninth plague in Egypt was the one where the land was enveloped in supernatural darkness. That's Exodus 10. Why is all this occurring? Well, we said earlier, these people have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, God's son who died for them. They're sinful. They deserve punishment. He's been patient for thousands of years. But just as the plagues seem to get worse and worse and worse, mankind, the Bible says at the end, evil, wickedness will greatly increased. In the last days, men are prideful, boastful, arrogant, self-deifying, making themselves God. Um, They believe in humanism. We can do everything. We don't need God. They've rejected Jesus Christ, God's light. They've rejected the truth of creation. And I can hear the scientists, can't you, saying, there's a reason for all this. You see, I've got an equation here on the blackboard and If you're in the back of the class, you're yelling, yeah, God has had it with people, right? Um, It's interesting that now uh, he's showing that he controls creation, and here it is, the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars. If you know Revelation, I'm sorry, Psalm 19. In fact, let's turn there real fast. We haven't done a detour yet. Grab your Bible. Right in the middle of the whole Bible, you'll come to Isaiah, Proverbs, Psalms, somewhere in there. Go to Psalm 19. Pretty easy to find. Psalm 19. Amazingly, it's right after Psalm 18. Thank you. Uh, Psalm 18. uh, Psalm 19. Okay. Are you still there? Say amen. amen. You guys on Zoom, you doing good? Say amen. All right. Psalm 19. Next time, it's a nice moonless night. If you live in the country, if you live in the city, you can't do this. I grew up in the city, couldn't do this. Where we live now, my wife and I, every couple weeks, we do it now. Turn off every light in the house, go in the backyard, lay down on a blanket, sometimes with pillows, and just look at the stars. And as your eyes focus, you see more and more. And there's shooting stars, and you see satellites. And the heavens, verse 1, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. I wish God would speak to me. Go look at the stars and listen up. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard around the world. 
Their voice, verse 4, goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. He rises at one end of the heavens, verse 6, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing's hidden from its heat. In any case, the heavens declare the glory of God. I won't bore you with the mind-blowing statistics about how big space is, but we are in a galaxy called the Milky Way. Are you aware of that? Not the candy bar, a galaxy, okay? The Milky Way is a galaxy with billions of stars. What are those stars? 99% of them are suns, like our sun. In fact, our sun is considered small. There are billions of galaxies out there. Why would God go to so much trouble to make the space so huge? Didn't need to be. Now we have the Hubble telescope and other things that they can look way off and see, oh, there's even more galaxies and what have you. The answer is because the heavens declare the glory of God. And the glory of God isn't this big or wow, it's that big. It's infinite. It's immense. As a kid, it used to blow my mind that space, my brother and I would talk about this, that space goes on forever. Well, no, there has to be an end, though. There's like a wall, and that's it. And my brother would say, what's on the other side of the wall? Oh, yeah. It goes on forever. Infinite. The heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, go back to Revelation with me. We're almost at the end of the chapter, and we're doing good on time so far. Thank God. Okay. So, if he hasn't gotten their attention yet with the stuff hitting the seas and the fresh water and the trees and the fires, now there's supernatural darkness. It's not quite as bright as it used to be because mankind, for the most part, has rejected the light of the world. You remember Jesus said, I'm the light of the world? So, uh, let's see. Some scholars, this is a little weird, just want to warn you. Some scholars think that this means a third less. What? Light. Some scholars actually think that we go from a 24-hour day to a 16-hour day. It's a third, eight out of 24. Is that possible? I don't know that it is physics-wise, but hey, we're dealing with God. Who knows? Thought I'd throw it in. The first four judgments have severe uh, God's first four trumpets, sorry, severe God's judgment, uh, uh, episodes of God's judgment. Um, he's attacking, if you notice, all means of subsistence, food, water, comfort, and the regular rhythm of life on earth. The sun rises, the sun sets, the sun rises, the sun sets. There's not usually this kind of amount of the earth on fire, a third uh, not usually a lot of water turning bitter, tidal waves, ships, and what have you. If you've ever been in a large earthquake, I don't mean the little, I mean a large earthquake. Didn't you feel small? I think you feel really small as these things are going on if you're on the earth. It's a wake-up call for God. There's still mercy going on because he's sparing two-thirds, as we said. Verse 13. Verse 13. As I watched, 
I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. In other words, this is God's emergency broadcast system. I don't think this is localized where you have to be in that area. I think somehow whatever this creature is, is heard around the world. You don't have to have Wi-Fi, cable, internet, uh, satellite dish, antenna. I think it's a worldwide phenomenon. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, let's read it again. An eagle, that word is very close to vulture in, Gre in Greek, which is very close to the word angel. All three are very close in spelling. I think it's Greek, not Hebrew. Flying in midair, calling out in a loud voice. Whoa. That means look out. You think that was bad? Look out what's coming. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now that may just sound like a generic term. Always in the book of Revelation, those who dwell on the earth, the inhabitants of the earth, always refers to, listen, unbelievers. So what's, what's excluded from that? Believers. No woe. As far as the wrath of God coming down, you and I, if we're here, we're going to be okay. It's going to be weird. It's sci-fi big time, isn't it? Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. It's a little bit of grace saying, that's not it. There's more kind of thing. Um, the world at this time, and unbelievers, you hear this all the time. You ever hear this term? Mother nature. Mother nature makes things grow. The sun and the, it's not nice to fool mother nature. There's no such thing as mother nature. There's Father God. That's who makes everything happen, right? But they believe in Mother Nature. They believe in mankind fixing all the problems. Nature is just an impersonal thing. Then there's the other extreme. If you know any New Age people, they believe in Gaia. Do you know what that is? Mother Earth, which is actually a living thing. We have to love Mother Earth and care. Listen. Earth is not alive. That's sort of pantheism. You ever heard of pantheism? Pan is, means all, theism, God. All is God. The trees, the rocks, the earth, the sun, the moon, the poison oak, mosquitoes, spiders. It's all God. Not for me, it's not. Not for you either. So we end chapter nine with, uh, with chapter eight, sorry, with woe. And he's not riding a horse telling him to stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Major things are coming as chapter 9 ends. It's kind of just, you're standing at the cliff there. Um, in chapter 9, hell opens up, so to speak. Hell is, you know, an extremely bad place. Let me define my terms, though, briefly. Um, there's three terms that get thrown around course the word hell but the three terms are and these two go together sheol and hades you ever heard of those things those places the place so and so died and they went to sheol sheol is the hebrew word for the place of departed spirits it is not 
hell as you and I think of hell. Okay. Then there's the other word, Hades, which is the Greek word, same thing, two names for the same place. It's like saying New York City or the Big Apple, which is, it's the same place. Hades and Sheol are the place of departed spirits. Okay. If you're an unbeliever and you go there, read Luke 16, it's not a party. The guy, the rich man that dies in Luke 16 in, in the story, rich, the Lazarus uh, rich man story, he is in agony in the flames because he was an unbeliever. Lazarus, who is a believer, is in glory and in, in Abraham's bosom, having a great time, awaiting the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Since Jesus rose, that good side of the departed spirit place, Sheol or Hades, is now empty. What do you mean? I mean what Paul said. For a believer, if you die right now, absent from the body, Hades, wrong. Sheol, wrong. Present with the Lord. There's no waiting anymore for that. Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. Hades, Sheol, same place, place of departed spirits. If you could go to Hades right now or Sheol, you'd see half of it is empty, the place where the saved people used to be. The other half is full and they're suffering, but it's not hell. The third word is Gehenna. It comes from a word that means the dump outside of Jerusalem, which was always burning with fires. They burn the garbage day, night, every day, holidays. There's always smoke and it became the word for hell. Listen, hell right now might surprise you. Two things. Number one, population of hell, zero. No one's in hell right now. No one. Hades awaiting judgment for unbelievers? Yes. Hell, no one's there. Thing number two, because Revelation 20, after the second coming, after the end of the tribulation, that's when there's judgment in Revelation 20. Till then, nobody's in hell. Second thing, Satan is not king of hell, ruler of hell, president of hell, prime minister, congressman from hell. He does not rule in hell. Hell is the lake of fire. He gets thrown there and he suffers forever along with the Antichrist and the false prophet. So we're going to see something open up in chapter nine. It's pretty scary. You want to hear a weird thing? Um, the Beatles had a song called Revolution. Revolution. You remember that song? And on, on the White Album, I happen to be a Beatle fan. On the White Album, there was a song called Revolution Number Nine. Don't bother listening to it. It's a bunch of noise. Literally, a bunch of sound effects and weird stuff. A guy in California named Charles Manson, who loved the Beatles and was evil, saw and heard Revolution number nine on a Beatle album and thought demons were speaking to him to read Revelation chapter nine, believe it or not. That's why they killed those people and that's a whole nother story. Revolution, uh, Revelation number nine is uh, he, God gives unbelievers a sneak preview of how much fun hell isn't going to be. Um, this is the chapter in the whole Bible that has the words as or like more than any other chapter, because John doesn't even know how to describe some of this crazy stuff. Um, 
Let's see. Jim, you had a question. Try to do it in one sentence because I got to repeat it for the Zoom people. He said, purgatory is neither hell nor Hades. In fact, purgatory doesn't exist. Purgatory, for those of you that are, uh, were raised Catholic like me, purgatory, there was heaven and there was hell in Catholic, Catholic religion. Um, what happened was there was a time when the Catholic Church wanted to build a bunch of nice big cathedrals. They were a little short on money. So this guy named Johann Tetzel came up with this little slogan. When the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. So they invented this thing called purgatory, which is so-and-so will make it Harold over here. There's no one named Harold in this group. Harold kind of believed in Jesus but he wasn't a really good guy. So he wasn't bad enough for hell, but he wasn't good enough for heaven for sure. And Jesus's death on the cross just doesn't do it enough. So Harold would go to purgatory, a place where you suffer in the flames for a while, nine months, two years, seven years, six months, and it's no fun. But if Harold was your brother or your son or your dad or your uncle, you could make a donation. Act now, 1-800-PURGATORY, and use your credit card. And you could spring Harold out early by giving to the church. When the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And by the way, if you give to the church enough, maybe you can skip purgatory. Where's purgatory in the Bible? Nowhere. Book of Illusions, chapter 5, I think, right? Okay, there is no Book of Illusions, you know that. Uh, let's see. Joel 2. I want you to go there before we read Revolution, not a revolution, <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> Getting tongue-tied here. Go to the back of, go to the, the end of the Old Testament, and you'll see Malachi, or for those of you that are Italian, Malachi. Uh, just kidding. Zechariah, Habakkuk, Micah. Uh, anyway, go to Joel and you will read uh, in chapter 2 uh, a preview of what we're going to read in chapter 9 in Revelation. Pick it up in Joel 2, verse 4. If you don't can't find Joel, that's okay, just listen. Joel 2, verse 4. Uh, actually, pick it up in verse 3. Mm -mm -mm. Gosh, you know what? No, we need to go to verse 1. I'm sorry. Joel 2, 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord. A period, the seven-year end times period. The day of the Lord's coming. It's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Sound like anything? Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large, mighty army comes. Oh, an army? You mean an army of people? No. Such as never was of old, nor will ever be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over mountains like a crackling fire, consuming stubble like a mighty army. 
drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. Uh, and it goes on from there. Okay, uh, verse 10, before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, and the skies, the stars no longer shine. Uh, okay, now go back to Revelate, <laughs> Revelation. I'm, I'm still new at this Bible thing. Revelation chapter 9. A horrible chapter, to be honest, but we got to read it. Revelation 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, bottomless pit. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass. That's what um, locusts usually do. The locusts are grasshoppers. Usually they eat the green stuff. They're told, verse 4, not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Who is this? Unbelievers. Where are they coming from? Deep within the earth, the Jews believed that the place of departed spirits, the place where demons, some of them were uh, uh, imprisoned, was at the center of the earth. They called it the bottomless pit. If you know anything about the earth and geology, you know that at the center of the earth, it's not exactly comfortable. It's really, really, really hot, right? Molten lava, when you see a volcano, it's coming from deep into the earth. The Jews believed that some demons were imprisoned down there, okay? The Bible always presents heaven, people on the earth, people or things under the earth or the underworld, if you will. These are um, demonic creatures, we're going to find out. Um, verse 7, the locusts look like horses. I'm in Revelation 9 still, prepared for battle. It sounds a lot like Joel, but let's go back to the beginning. I just wanted to give you that preview. I pray that none of you have nightmares tonight. Don't call me if you do. So first thing, go back to verse 1 of chapter 9. Trumpet number 5. A star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Hold it right there. This is not a star. Sometimes stars are beings. This is a being. He's given a key. He's going to do something. He's going to open it up. Um, so it's a person. To him was given is how it literally reads in uh, Greek. King James has it that way. Uh, yeah, we already talked about all that. I'm just reviewing. Um, this is a demonic plague, if you will. Um, God is allowing these demonic creatures to run on the on the earth with some restrictions you'll see um we already talked about that okay the, uh, let's see where were we okay uh i saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth majority opinion 
This is either Satan or a demon. Because of that word that had fallen, not that fell, that had fallen already. If you go with me briefly to go to uh, Isaiah 14. Again, roughly the middle of the Bible. If you get to Psalms or Proverbs or Song of Songs, take a right. Isaiah 14. There are two places in the Bible, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Easy to remember because 14 times 2 is 28. I'm a math nerd. Uh, two places in the Bible tell you the answer to the question, how did Satan become Satan? Was he always an evil dude? Answer, no. Um, Let's see, uh, Isaiah 14, are you there? I think it's verse uh, 12. How you have, there's that word, fallen. I'm in Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Now, I'm going to accent one word to show you how much pride is going on here. Are you ready? Verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself, wait for it, like the most high. Meaning what? God. I'm going to be God. Satan was a mighty angel, Lucifer, the light bearer. He was a musician. You got to watch out for those musicians. He was a good angel who, through pride, I, 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 I will make myself like the Most High, rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him who became bad angels or demons, okay? But, verse 15, you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you, they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a desert to overthrow its cities, overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home? Uh, you are cast out of your tomb, verse 19, like a rejected branch. Okay, the other one is Ezekiel 28. We won't go there. Go back to Revelation 9. Most scholars think this is not a good angel. Some say it could be. A few say it's Jesus. I don't think so. Um, this guy is given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The picture is somewhere on the earth, there is a shaft going down, way down, to where the underworld is. Could this be symbolic? It could. Um, he's given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, you and I are saying, oh, please don't use the key and open it. But he does, right? When he opened the abyss, verse 2, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. Just what you would picture in an evil area, right? It's hot, smoky, like kind of ominous. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke. You say, wait, they were already darkened. Can we say dark-er, right? Dark time by the smoke from the abyss. Verse 3, and out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth. Where did they come from, these locusts? From in that abyss, the bottomless pit, the underworld where some demons were incarcerated. We'll look at a few verses that talk about that in a second. 
Um, yeah, we already talked about that. Um, let's see. The bottomless pit is mentioned in, in uh, verse 11, but we're not there yet. Um, he's opening the pit uh, allowed to by God because this is going to be a judgment on the unbelievers because they didn't pay attention to the darkness and the falling asteroids and all the other stuff. Um, so uh, let's look at a few scriptures. Let's go to let's go to Revelation 20 first. Go to Revelation chapter 20. That's easy to find. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding a great, holding in his hand a great chain. This is a different angel. This is a good angel, you might say. Um, he sees the dragon. Well, who's that? That ancient serpent. You mean like in the Garden of Eden? Yes. Who is the devil or Satan? And bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. After that, he'll be uh, set free for a short time. Now, from Revelation, take a left and go to Second Peter. So, just a few books back from Revelation, First Peter, Second Peter. That's before the First John, Second John, Third John thing. Go to Second Peter, chapter. Two. These are unusual verses. Verse four. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, oh, you mean the rebellion, Peter? Yes. Of the angels rebelling against God? Yes. Some of the demons? Yes. But sent them to hell. And that's not, that's Tartarus. That's the place of departed spirits in a different language, sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he didn't spare the ancient world when he brought the flood, okay, there we go. Okay, now go one book, go to the right. One book before Revelation is that tiny book of Jude with a lot of weird stuff. Probably the weirdest book in the New Testament next to Revelation. Look at Jude 6. There's only one chapter. Jude chapter 1, verse 6. And the angels, that's demons, watch, who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he, have, he has kept or incarcerated in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on, the great, on that great day, or on the great day. Now I'll go back to Revelation 9. Um, the belief is, the commonly held belief of chapter 9 is that these are demonic creatures that are allowed to take the form of locusts. You say, oh, cute little grasshoppers. Think again. Um, so locusts, verse 3, upon the earth, they're given power like that of scorpions. That's not a normal locust. A, lo a normal locust eats the green stuff, right? Um, like that of scorpions on the earth, verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass, which they usually would do, of the earth, or any plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. That's the protection of the believers. They don't have that. So these supernatural, uh, not supernatural, but spiritual beings can tell, oh, don't harm John and Judy Cunningham or Ken and Charlotte. They're believers. They have the seal of God in their forehead. But the ones that don't have it are all 
pray, P-R-E-Y, for these creatures. Um, okay, so what happens to them? Verse 5. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torment or torture them for five months. So that beats the heck out of five years or 50 years, right? Five months. But it's five months of horrible torment for the unbelievers. Why is God doing this? So that they will repent and believe. But they don't, you'll see. They were given power not to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. I'm still in verse five. The agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, verse six, men will seek death, but they will not find it. It will elude them. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Show of hands, has anyone here, we have them up here in the mountains, don't we? Anyone been bit by a scorpion? Let me see your hands. Only one person. Oh, two. Okay. Pretty painful? Like a bee sting? Yeah, like a, like a bad bee sting. Um, I can't remember who, but we know somebody that got up in the morning and put a woman and put pants on and there was a scorpion in there and just kept on stinging her in her leg until she figured out what it was over and over. Yikes. Um, okay, so a scorpion bite. Say that again. You were in a boat and a scorpion got you. Wow. Um, some of them are pretty big. I've seen them and killed them, but I've never been bit by one. The agony they suffered, middle of verse 5, was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. How bad is this? Is it like uh, Leanne's? or uh, Nancy's scorpion bite? No, it's worse. How do you know? Because verse six, during those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. This sounds to me like these demons not only are able to injure people, by the way, the demons love this, right? They don't care. God is allowing them very careful boundaries. Don't touch the believers. He says, those are my kids right there, my daughters, my sons. Everybody else, have at it. The, the, the torture they're going to go undergo is so bad that people want to kill themselves, and for some reason, they can't. Very strange. One scholar in this verse said that this is sort of a teaching that um, the demonic lie is that uh, death, is, death is a good way out. Uh, just go ahead and end it all. And it's a major lie. It's not a blessing at all. For believers, ironically, death is eternal blessing. For unbelievers, it's only going to get worse, right? Not better for them. Um, it's a leap from the frying pan of torment in tribulation to the eternal fire. But they're still resisting God. Um, you ever hear this one? So-and-so died, you know, you know. Was he a believer? No. But he's in a better place. You ever hear that? You know and so do I. No, he's not. If he's a believer, true right? For an unbeliever, you don't want to say the truth, right? But yeah, he was very sick and he's an unbeliever, but he's in a worse place now. Much worse. It's horrible. 
this is the most important thing. Um, would God save these people if they got on their knees and repented, even at this time? Absolutely. Right? Whosoever. Um, but he gets, they get a little sample of fellowship with their future roommates, these scorpions, in a sense, right? Um, next week, uh, well, let's just read it and then we'll talk about it next week. Verse 7. Remember I said special effects, sci-fi, almost cartoonish. Verse 7, the locusts looked like horses. The what? Locusts looked like Horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses. That sounds like Joel. And, chari and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions. And in their tails, they had the power to torment people, there it is again, for five months. They had as king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. The first woe is past, two more to go. Shall we pray? Because we're out of time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing and unusual book. How awesome that you know and predict the future. And we're going to see this stuff, maybe, if we're alive at this time, God. But one generation will. Thank you that you've been slow to anger all these centuries, and you've had patience with some of us for many years while we were sinners. And one day these things will happen to punish sin and rebellion, but also to draw some people into that saving relationship with your son. We're thankful we have that relationship, God. We ask that you would draw us even closer in these dark times that we're living in, God. Thank you for the amazing power of prayer that is answered, we saw in these chapters we're looking at. Use this time, God, to teach us about the temporary nature of everything we own. Indeed, the only permanent things are the people and the word of God. Everything else, one way or another, is going to burn. Thank you for these truths, Lord. We look forward to a greater city, a greater kingdom in heaven with you. Thank you that our salvation is sure because of Jesus. We give you thanks and praise, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's really important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. We'll see you next Tuesday, God willing. Have a great night.